This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Andrea Williams, a middle school science teacher in the West Bloomfield School District in Michigan. Andrea's been a modeler since 2015 and is very active in promoting modeling methods in her state. She's helped facilitate several modeling workshops in Michigan and has been working with others on an initiative to modelize the MyStar Science Curriculum. MyStar is a project-based science curriculum that covers all the Michigan science standards and has been adopted by many school districts in southwestern Michigan. Andrea loves to find ways to get students to think more deeply about science concepts. Here's my interview with Andrea. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Mark. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Nice to meet you, too. I'm really excited that you're here with us for this conversation. Um, I've heard some really good things about you, and uh, I think it's going to be cool to share with our listeners uh, a little bit about your journey and uh, what you're doing in the modeling community. So I I know that you uh, have been teaching science in middle school since 2003. Yeah, it's 18, 18 years you've been yes. doing that, and you Going into had year your 19. yeah, <laughs> you had your master's in science, yes, education, and uh, so did you complete your master's before you started teaching in two thousand three, or did that come along the way after you started teaching? That came along the way. Um, it was probably in my second year of teaching that I started my master's program. And Walden University is all um, online. So that was an interesting experience. Um, It was my first experience with taking online classes. Um, But it Mm. was really the first time that I myself got the opportunity to to engage in inquiry um, and learning science through inquiry. So it was a really valuable experience. Um, We had boxes of materials sent to us, and then we would do labs as a student And we would kind of discuss afterwards um, as students first. And then we also would talk about from the teacher side of it, um, how did this help facilitate the learning? And how was this experience um, maybe different than the way we had been taught? So in a way, it was um, a little bit like modeling, even though it was just labeled as inquiry at the time. Right. So that really informed the way that I wanted to work with my my students in my classroom. Yeah. And I saw that your first modeling instruction workshop was in 2015. So that, yes. that inquiry approach in your, in your master's program was kind of a, in, kind of a precursor to the, the modeling approach. Yes. That's really interesting. Huh, cool. Um, yeah. So, so you've been teaching. And all of a sudden you hear about modeling in 2015, or is that when you first heard about it or had you? That was when I first heard about it. Yeah. Yep. And so you went to a workshop. Talk to me about what, first of all, what the workshop experience was like for you. And then we'll talk about your teaching since. 
I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I'm maybe a little bit of a PD junkie. So <laughs> I always like to attend and um, I'm always trying to learn new things. And it was an opportunity um, in the summer and it sounded like a really amazing experience. And so I went in and at first I didn't really understand what was even going on because they put us immediately into the role of a student. Yep. And I... Um, I enjoyed the discussion, but I at first didn't really understand, like, where are we going with this? Um, at, from the student side, it was a whole different experience to be sitting there and not know what I was supposed to be getting out of the learning part. So um, besides those inquiry activities that I'd done in my master's class, I had only experienced all of the um, kind of cookie cutter labs where, you know, once you start to read the procedures, you kind of like know where this is headed mm. and you know what you're supposed to find out at the end. And it was, it was just a really eye-opening experience to be able to be involved in the discussion where we were working together to build our understanding and sharing our results and actually having the experience of different groups kind of coming in with a different interpretation and different, um, you know, procedures. Maybe they had collected their data differently and we were actually talking about the process of science. Um, it was, it, it was really like life changing and um, eye opening to be a part of the experience. So you had that workshop. It really influenced mm -hmm. you to the point where I know you've gotten more involved in modeling uh, than just employing yeah. it in your classroom, but also to in training and in leadership workshops and that kind of thing. Yes. Tell me about tell me about how that happened, came about, how you moved into that phase of modeling involvement. So our um, local um, ISD, the Oakland Intermediate School District, has uh, Mike Gallagher, who I think you had on as a guest on, on a podcast. Yeah, yep. Mike, he, he did a really cool thing on, on um, uh, oh, systematic, systemic reform. Yes. Uh, when I talked to him, and that was really a cool episode. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> he, I got excited when you mentioned in the name. Yes, he is an amazing person, and I've worked with him for many years just through Oakland Intermediate School District. Um, I have um, done workshops for Oakland Intermediate School District with him, and um, he has spearheaded in Michigan kind of taking uh, modeling and making it um, almost statewide in Michigan. Um, he's been or, uh, organizing the workshops in the summer for teachers and we've had them on the west side of the state a lot in the detroit area some in the up and we have modelers in michigan all over the state and so i had already had a good connection with mike gallagher and after that first modeling workshop i was all in and i knew that it was something that i wanted to be a part of um taking out to other teachers and getting other teachers in, involved. And so I actually approached Mike um, after, after the first workshop. And then that previous, that following year, I taught it in my classroom. And um, while the being in the workshop was incredibly life-changing and eye-opening, actually doing it with my students was uh, uh, indescribable. It was just amazing. Um, so many times, there were um, 
labs that I hadn't actually done with myself in the workshop that I would look at and I would say, there's no way, there's no way my middle school kids are going to get all that they expect them to get from this, from this data. And they would. And it was incredible. There was uh, one in particular that jumps out to me was this lab where kids were looking at um, title data. And it was just oodles of data. It was like month by month, by year, by um, daily times for tides in this specific location. And the objective was to get them to understand the patterns in tides and start to see that there's, you know, too low and too high each day, and then start to get that um, sense of how that uh, time shifts throughout the year. And that was where I, that was the big one that jumps out at me where I was just like, there's, there's no way, there's no way middle school kids are going to be able to take all these numbers and get that. They might be able to get that there's too low and too high each day, but I just, I, I didn't believe that they would be able to come to that. And they did. I mean, they were noticing that it was shifting. They were noticing that there were certain times of the month where the highest high was, the, there was the highest high out of all. I mean, they just, they got all of it. And so I drank the Kool-Aid and I went to Mike after that first experience. And I said, I've got to be more involved in this. I've got to be a part of it. And since I already had that connection with him, um, he got me into uh, uh, one of the summer leadership training workshops for modeling instructors. And, and then it was, um, I was on board from there. And the next year I was um, a kind of an intern in a workshop um, with George Nelson and um, Nell Balecki, who's a, an amazing modeling instructor and um, took off from there. So it seems like there's a lot going on in Michigan. Oh yeah. The modeling, yes. with the modeling group. And I know uh, that uh, Mike has been really involved in leading that. Um, I know one of the things that happened there is that you guys started a thing called My Star, or uh, am I saying that right? Is it My Star or Me? <laughs> yeah, it's My Star. Yep. I assume the My is for Michigan. Yes, we have a lot of Mi My things in Michigan. So <laughs> yeah. And so, what's My Star, and what's your involvement with it? So um, a few years back when the um, Michigan State standards changed, um, essentially our Michigan State standards are the next generation science standards. Um, and what Michigan did was they adopted all of the next generation science standards, which are kind of um, national science standards. And then they added a couple in that are Michigan specific. So when we adopted that, there were um, some professors at, at Michigan Tech, Tech University that got together and they brought teachers on board and they started developing a curriculum that was um, designed uh, to encompass all of those Michigan state standards. And it's, it's a really, um, it's a totally separate curriculum from modeling curriculum, but it is, um, it encompasses all of the standards and it's created in a uh, project-based design so um, the standards are bundled, and then there is a big question that kids are trying to answer. Mm. Um, and then they go through a sequence of kind of um, each lesson is designed to help them uncover um, a piece of, of science that they need to understand in order to solve this big question. 
Um, and they're all real world based questions um, centered around um, science topics and 21st century issues that are related to science. Um, climate change is a big one that comes to mind. So, um, for example, in the um, climate change unit, they're all trying to uh, solve a problem of how can we um, reduce carbon dioxide emis emissions and help uh, limit climate change. Um, and then so they go through this sequence and then at the end, they um, put together everything they've learned with the science concepts and present how they would solve the problem using what they learned for science. And a lot of the Michigan schools have started adopting this curriculum because what's unique about it is it's um, a lot of the big box science companies that put out curriculum that are, are nationwide and not Michigan specific um, kind of did backwards design. So they already had their curriculum established. And then when the science standards change, they just kind of say, well, here's how these standards could work with what we have for you. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. things get left out and things don't really gel as well. So when MTU was putting this together, they said, we want to make sure all the standards are truly covered in here. And so they designed it after the standards, which is really the way to make sure everything is covered. And it's Michigan specific. And they had teachers involved in the development process, like actual teachers that were in the field. So that was all field tested. Um, it's a really good curriculum. So a lot of the districts are adopting it, um, but modelers want to do modeling. Sure. So we we were brought in, and this was with Mike Gallagher again, and we also worked with um, Colleen. It's McGowan Romanowitz is what, what her name is. Yes, thank you. Yes, Colleen, she actually came to Michigan to meet with us and some uh, really involved uh, modeling instructors that are in middle school. We got together and we started developing a way to modelize the MyStar units huh. so that we could kind of bring together the best of both worlds um, for the districts that are have adopted MyStar curriculum. And that we could still do modeling. That is really cool. Um, you mentioned uh, MTU, and I just wanted to clarify that that's Michigan Technological University. Is that correct? Yes, okay. that's correct. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about MTU? Um, MTU is in the Upper Peninsula. It's an engineering-based um, uh, college, and I am not uh, very familiar with everything they offer because I I'm a graduate of U of M, so yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't get to attend MTU, but. Um, I got involved with uh, MyStar when uh, I was just interested. I was curious because, you know, PD junkie again. Yeah. So um, I was teaching with modeling curriculum. Um, but at the time when I started teaching modeling curriculum, the middle school um, curriculum was still kind of in process of being designed and, and put out there for teachers to use. And so I was interested to find out what MyStar had to offer um, because I felt it might supplement some of the things I was doing with um, with modeling. Mm -hmm. And then um, after I went to the workshop that I attended and I started kind of playing around with it in my classroom, lo and behold, a couple of years later, my district has adopted it as our curriculum. So we are teaching from the MyStar uh, curriculum, um, 
but we're using the modeling, the modelized units that we've come up with so far. So we're, we're doing modeling and MyStar. So are all of you in Michigan sharing your resources with people outside of Michigan? Have you guys, like, are you guys connected with AMTA at all with sharing resources and the things that you guys have learned? Uh, it would How would people that are listening, if they were interested in finding out what you guys are doing, how would they get that information? Well, we are connected with AMTA. Um, I believe that the intention was to make the modelized units available through AMTA. I'm not sure where we're at with that because we've just been doing this modeling, modeling MyStar for two years now. Ah. So this would have actually last summer would have been our second round of, of summer workshops. But because of the pandemic, um, we did a few things virtually well, that was two summers ago. This past summer, um, we still weren't able to do our face-to-face for the middle school modeling, uh, modelized MyStar units. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very new still. Um, we have modelized uh, six units out of a lot of MyStar units. There's <laughs> uh, you know three grade levels worth, and there's approximately five to six units at each grade level. So um, we're still new with what we've done, and I'm not sure where we're at yet with um, the connection with AMTA and, and how they're going to push those out uh, through AMTA. Um, yeah. MyStar, um, they're now in the process of making the MyStar curriculum open to um, outside of Michigan as well. So that is just happening. That's new. Um, That's cool. Yeah. But uh MyStar has a website um, where people can access um, information about the MyStar curriculum and the units that we have modelized are available um, to teachers that are, are using MyStar curriculum. So they're available on there. Um, Mike Gallagher is always a good contact for more information on um, if anyone from out of state wanted to get more information as well. The pandemic has slowed a lot of things down and yes. kind of changed how we've been able to uh, move forward with projects that are in, are in process, and it's been really tough. I, have you been uh, teaching face-to-face or online, or how's that been going for you for the last year and a half, two years? Our district did a really great job of making sure that we could go back in person last year safely. Um We went uh, last year, we started right out the gate in person, but we did kind of a a hybrid version. So what they decided to do was um, our academic classes, our core academic classes, uh, math, language, arts, social studies, and science would be in person and um, electives would be taught virtually. And so that way we were able to have half the kids at school in the morning and do their in-person portion, and then they would go home and do their electives online while the other half came to school and did their um, acad- or their academics in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were in person from the beginning of the year um, up until um, I think at, it was right around Thanksgiving, we did go completely virtual because um, cases and numbers were high in the county. This is 2020. Yeah, this was 2020. Yep. Um, of course the end of 2019 was just, um, a mess. Um, we, we went out in March and we never went back, but we did, um, 
we did do some, it was more kind of asynchronous lessons for kids. And then we would have like office hours where kids could check in. Cause mm-hmm. of course at the end of 2019, nobody knew what we were doing and then we figured it out. Yeah. Um, Boy. But uh, it was a challenge being virtual. Um, we did some interactive things. I learned a lot of digital stuff that I didn't know before. I learned a, a lot about how to use, have kids working collaboratively in like Google slides and Jamboard and, all kinds of uh, Padlet, all kinds of crazy um, virtual tools that kids could use and work together at the same time in. And uh, we made it work. Um, discussions were a little more of a challenge with the the modeling pedagogy because um, kids didn't want to even show their face on the camera in uh, Zoom. But uh, we made it work. And we only had to be out virtual from right around Thanksgiving until the new year. And then we were back face to face. Um, and we've been back face to face this year too. So I heard they did a deep study on what caused COVID and what caused the pandemic. And when they uncovered it all, they discovered it was zoom. Yeah. <laughs> it was a conspiracy. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah. Zoom made it all. <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden Zoom is just, everybody knows what that is. (laughs) Nobody knew before. (laughs) Yep. We'll get back to my interview with Andrea in just a minute. But first, here's a message from the AMTA. Has AMTA impacted your classroom or your career? Consider giving us a high five this fall during our Drive for Five fundraising event. We're asking members to consider a recurring donation of $5 a month for the year. These small donations can have a big impact on our organization. The funds are used to continue providing support and training for our teachers, as well as to improve our curricular materials. You can help us meet our goals of expanding modeling instruction domestically and abroad. Please visit modelinginstruction.org slash drive to donate. That's modelinginstruction.org slash drive. Uh, before you learned about the modeling pedagogy, you know, how has your classroom changed? How has your approach changed? Talk to us a little bit about what that transition or transformation, I should say. Yeah. How, what happened there? So in the beginning, um, I taught the way I had been taught. And when I started teaching in 2003, my mentor teacher taught me to teach the way I had been taught. And so there was a lot of textbook reading. There was a lot of answering questions in the textbook. Um, We would do the um, reading about the content first so that they already had um, the actual, like, you know, the way it was written in the textbook, scientific description of different um, topics, or, you know, if we were, for example, if we were doing a unit on um, light and um, how light interacts with different things, we would read about it first. And then we might watch some videos. And then we would do a, a lab at the end, which would be like a confirmation lab, basically. So there was no discovery. It was like, okay, you read about this. And you learned about how light interacts with, say, a prism or a mirror. And so now we're going to go into the lab and I'm going to have you walk through these 
procedures that are already spelled out for you and you follow the directions and you do the things and then you answer the questions at the end. Um, and I was always left like feeling like something's missing because I would see the kids in the lab and they would ooh and ah, but then they still really couldn't articulate how what they were doing in the lab helped them to um, understand the science concept. Hmm. They wouldn't make the connection between, um, they weren't able to make the connection between what they read about and what they were seeing in the lab. Hmm. Um, they thought it was cool, but they didn't really get it. Um, and so that was always like kind of a letdown um, to, to feel like I had um, given them this experience, but they weren't able to really benefit from it. Hmm. One of the things that I've always, I always think I've been good at though, is kind of asking kids questions. And even in my first year of teaching, we would, when we were quote, going over the homework, I would, um, I wouldn't tell them if they were right or wrong. And so I think that gave me an advantage going into modeling instruction is that I already, I actually had a kid, uh, never forget it in my first year of teaching asked me a question and I said, well, that's really interesting. What do you think about that? And, and some other kid says, Mrs. Williams, you never will tell us if we're, if we get it or if we don't, will you, <laughs> you're never going to tell us if we're right. And I said, no, probably not <laughs> because you need to think about this and you need to talk about it. So you were a born modeler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always thought about it as kind of like a Socratic kind of questioning. Like I would ask the kids more, you know, get to, you know, and of course I've learned a lot more about how to get kids, not just to do that with me, but to do that with each other. That's one of the things that modeling has helped me expand in that discourse of working with kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but, it, you know, we would have class discussions, but it would always be kids sitting in their seats facing me. And it would be like, even though I was asking them questions and I might say, well, what did you think about, you know, what Johnny said over here and try to get them to, to really listen to each other. It really ended up being that kind of ping pong where it was like um, the kid asked me something. I asked them something back. The kid says something another kid says something, it goes to me, I throw it back to them. And so it was just kind of like this back and forth between me and the kids, but not really between kids to kids. And not really sharing data, because if you follow the lab, we all got the same answer. So now we're just trying to, the questions are more like, well, um, I still don't understand X concept. Can you explain it again? And then I might throw that back out to, well, somebody, can somebody else talk about how you understand it? And it really wasn't a discussion of data. It was a discussion of, did we get what we were supposed to get? Um, so yeah, so before modeling, you'd, you'd teach out a textbook, watch some videos, and then do a lab. Mm -hmm. And you said you had a difficult time having the kids make the connection and make really get the understanding down. Uh, how has it been different than that since you started the modeling approach? It's been, um, I, so many ways it's been different. It's, it's really hard to, to pin down just one way. Um, mm. the, the, having the kids come to a discussion with data and, and having them actually discuss what their findings are has just given us a platform for 
um, discussing not just the content, but also the process of science, which is phenomenal. Um, it's, it's been more, the learning is more student driven because they can talk about, um, to each other about what their understanding is. And when they hear other kids explaining things, they're more apt to think about the concepts and the, the content in different ways. Um, and you see light bulbs going off because somebody doesn't understand something. And then they hear another student say, well, this is what I think. And here's why I think this. And then suddenly a light bulb will go off. Mm. Um, I, one of the first things I noticed in the first year I was using the modeling curriculum uh, was the um, amount of student use of vocabulary. It, it just shot through the roof. How many kids were actually using the science vocabulary and using it correctly. Hmm. Um, you know, in my previous years of teaching with, we did the old school where, you know, part of the test was the section where it was um, matching with the vocabulary words. And there was the textbook definition and they had to match the answer. And if any of those words were even slightly changed, kids didn't understand the word enough to make the match between huh. the definition because oh. they were just memorizing it for right. the test. Right. Um, and then if they tried to use the words in class, um, they would use the words slightly off or sometimes completely inaccurately. They weren't really internalizing and understanding the definition. But when we were able to have experiences first and come to our discussion and kids would bring something up, and I, you know, then there would be that moment where I would say, wouldn't it be nice if we just had a word that, that, you know, meant that what you just said. And, and then I would say, guess what? Scientists have a word for that. That word is density or <laughs> that word is, you know, whatever it is. And then in class, when I would walk around in subsequent activities, you'd hear kids using the words and using them accurately. And it was just, um, you know, like I, I describe it like, you know, at the end of the Grinch that stole Christmas when his heart swells and it bursts right out of that frame. Like that's what I would feel when I would walk around the room. Like this is just amazing. And um, you could tell from their conversation and the way they talked to each other and the way they used the un their understanding of the concepts and the vocabulary that they were getting this much deeper and richer understanding. Um a lot of uh, modelers that I've talked to are high school teachers, mm -hmm. and they have they typically will teach one of the areas of discipline in science, the chemistry or physics. Or I think when modeling started out, it was primarily focused on physics. Yeah, and there's a big contingency of physics modelers. But you're in a different situation in in middle school. You're not just teaching one of those disciplines, am, am I right? You're like yeah. teaching science on a more broad level with those kids. Talk to me about the difference in using modeling in that kind of a situation, that environment, than in just a single subject uh, focus. It's interesting because um, when you talk about the target model, which is a conceptual model of an idea, um, the physics models and the chemistry models tend to be more, um, they're a little easier to pin down. Um, biology and earth science gets a little dicey because of the fact that even for biologists, like a target model for um, evolution 
essentially boils down to a kind of a list of agreed upon, um, not facts, that's not the right word, but ideas, a mm. list of agreed upon ideas mm -hmm. that explain how evolution happens. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with physics and chemistry, even you can get um, target models, which are more of an equation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's when you, when it comes to the modeling um, cycle and you get to model breaking, it's a little different when you are talking about um, the um, biology and earth science, because you're not really breaking a model. You're just adding another idea, if mm. that makes sense. Sure. So in a physics um, concept, you might have developed uh, a formula to um, uh, explain um, how um, acceleration occurs. And then something happens differently, like, um, you know, you're, you're traveling in a straight direction and now there's going to be a turn. And what does that look like? And that kind of changes things. And, and you can adjust your um, conceptual model and your equation appropriately. But with biology, if you're talking about evolution, you might find something that um, doesn't quite fit to an, an, uh, an idea that you already have in there. And you don't really break that idea. You just need to add a new idea. So when you're building the conceptual models, there's a little bit of a different um, process that you kind of need to go through with kids. Yeah. Um, so that's a little different. And then you're kind of shifting gears because you might be doing um, in the MyStar units that we've modelized when they bundle topics, you might have a unit that covers some uh, physical science topics and some earth science topics and some life science topics because they've kind of bundled them with the idea that all of these work together to answer this um, big question that kids are trying to answer. So you might be shifting your focus a little bit um, to build your model. You actually have to think about including ideas from, um, you know, physics and or science and biology. Yeah, so, interesting. Um, there, that's a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Is your school seventh, eighth, and ninth? Our school is sixth, seventh, and eighth. Oh, okay. And do yeah. you teach in all three of those grade levels, or do you teach one of those grade levels? It varies from year to year. Um, most years I've had a mix of sixth and eighth grade students huh. throughout the day. Wow. This year I have all sixth grade students, um, and I have taught seventh grade. So it varies from year to year. Yeah. Um, we're actually, um, next year we'll be moving into a brand new building. We're merging two middle schools and we're kind of working on, um, a new, uh, a way of, um, I don't want to say a new way of teaching, but some new and exciting developments where we might actually have kids in our classes of all three grade levels at the same time. So we're, wow. yeah, so that's kind of exciting. Do you find it difficult having students who are as young as sixth grade in the same room with eighth graders with their cognitive abilities, you know, understanding what you're teaching? So far, I haven't had that experience yet, but having had the experience of teaching them separately, um, it's it, what I what I see is that that age span from sixth to eighth grade is so varied that it's really hard to even say what does an average sixth grader look like, what does an average eighth grader look like. Huh. Um, obviously, 
the eighth graders tend to be, you know, physically bigger. Um, but um, I've had sixth graders that have been in double advanced math and um, are just, you know, ready to take on the world when it comes to science. And I've had eighth graders that are still reading at a third grade level and need a lot more um, assistance and guidance and scaffolding and all of those things. So one of the things that we hope to be able to do with um, kind of making our our classes multi-age and multi-grade is that we can differentiate more by individual student need versus this is how we teach you when you're a sixth grader. This is how you teach you when you're a seventh grader. This is how we teach you when you're an eighth grader, because it's not even at, at a specific age level, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, and then we can even do some, you know, we hope to be able to do some really cool, like peer to peer mentoring and, and things like that across ages, because I've had sixth graders that they could teach my class, <laughs> you know, so, so it's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. My wife teaches in a, um, a college prep charter school. She teaches chemistry to sophomores, and uh, the school is a physics first school. So their freshmen mm -hmm. learn, uh, and it's all modeling throughout their four years of science in the different classes. And she often laments that kids coming into the school have not been taught in a modeling style. So yeah. one of the things they have to do is to uh, help those kids acclimate to that style of learning and teaching, you know, coming to them. And uh, she would love to have students from your school. You know, there's just not right. enough uh, middle schools that are employing a modeling approach. And uh, so we'd love to see more and more m middle schools that start engaging in it. And what you're doing sounds awesome. And, uh, you know, kudos to you and your team. Thank you. That's really cool. Um, what's a, a secret that you would share that you wish you knew before you started modeling? Well, I would say one of the things that I've learned um, in doing modeling is um, patience. <laughs> patience, patience, patience. Um, <laughs> I, especially at the middle school level, sometimes it is a challenge um, facilitating discussion because um, kids every day is different for kids and kids that um, you know are just on it one day might come in and they've had a bad day and they're grouchy and they're snappy and it derails the conversation and so I would say um, patience and and forgiveness for yourself as a facilitator hmm. I know I took a lot of those situations personally when I left um, in the beginning, when I had just started with uh, modeling and, and doing those discussions in my classroom and, you know, I would, you know, feel as if, uh, you know, oh, I've done something wrong. This is my fault. And just not really realizing that, you know, it's not a um, the end of the world if one conversation doesn't go as well as you would have liked. And, um, you know, just kind of that idea that, you're not really, at least at the middle school level, it might be different in high school, but you're not really ever done kind of teaching them the social norms of discussion. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that um, might prevent some teachers from uh, trying again and continuing in using modeling instruction is that um, I think uh, sometimes we have this idea that 
you know, they should know how to behave themselves. They And so if we give them a list of, you know, or even if we create it together, a list of norms for discussion, and we post it up in the room, and it's there for them to look at and remind themselves of that, it, that you can do that in kind of this one and done, you know, we do it at the beginning, and now they know it. And now we're going to have these great conversations. And I shouldn't have to teach you again, that you can't just yell at somebody if you don't like their ideas. <laughs> yeah. But at least in the middle school level, it's it's going to happen, you know, you'll get all the way to March and you've been doing this since the beginning of the school year and somebody's going to have a bad day and somebody's going to, you know, feel grouchy and snap at someone and you're going to have to take that as a learning kind of a one of those um, teachable moments and, you know, we're going to back up and we're going to take our emotions out of this and we're going to talk about what could we have done differently in this situation and in the beginning, I didn't, I was one of those people that thought, but I've already taught them how to talk to each other. So why are they still not getting that part of it? And how come that keeps interfering with our learning? Um, and now I've come to kind of have some grace with myself and, and really, you know, just, you know, we're going to have to learn it again. We're going to talk about it again. And, and really, I think for me, that is part of one of the, um, at the middle school level, that is part of, of the beauty of modeling pedagogy and modeling instruction is that it provides this opportunity for kids to learn how to collaborate with each, with each other, how to communicate with each other effectively. Um, and, and it's, you know, where else are they going to get that kind of experience to be able to learn how to work together with other people to build this common understanding and work towards this consensus together. Um, those social skills are really important and it provides an opportunity to teach those as well. So patience, grace, forgiveness, try it again. <laughs> That's what I wish somebody had told me in the beginning. Don't give up. Patience, grace, and forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, guide for the teacher in the classroom. That's really good. Uh, that's awesome. So, is there any uh, like single? If you were talking to a, a, a new modeler, what big tip would you give them for as they launch on their journey or as they continue their journey? What would be your big tip for them uh, as a modeler who's been doing it for a while now? I would probably tell them to trust in the process um, and believe in your students. Because, um, like I said in the beginning, I was doubtful that um, some of these big ideas that kids would be able to uncover from these um, these uh, uh, the lab experiences. Um, I, I'm a bit of a control freak, <laughs> so I have learned to control other things. <laughs> so instead of controlling like the uh, procedures for the lab that kids have to follow, I control other things in the room, like you know, making sure that everybody's engaged when they're working in small groups, that there's not somebody off roaming around, that um, the timing of things, um, when we're, you know, you're going to have 10 minutes to finish this piece, and I put the timer up, and you know, so I, I've learned to control other things besides controlling the direction of their learning. Um, and, and so uh, I had to learn how to be able to step back a little bit, how to not tell kids when they're wrong about things. Um, I was always kind of that more of a Socratic, you know, like um, I wanted to question kids. I wanted them to figure it out. Um, but 
in the moment, sometimes when, like, for example, if a kid is, is uh, trying to um, design an experiment and I know darn well it's not going to work, your first reaction is just to be kind of like, hold on, why are you doing it that way? And instead, just step back and let it happen because yeah. the most beautiful moments happen when kids bring data to a discussion that is different. And the difference comes from the fact that they decided to design their their investigation differently. And that will come out in the discussion. And it's so much more powerful for those kids than me standing there telling them, wait, 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 why don't you try it this way? Um, because they won't know why they should try it that way other than that the teacher told them to. But if they come to the lab, uh, the discussion and they have different results and we can talk about the process of science and what might have caused the, these results to be different? Well, how did you design your experiment? And we can have that conversation. Those light bulbs can come on and they can realize that that whole process and that's important as well. And they'll have that understanding that um, they wouldn't have had if I had just told them what to do. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So being able to kind of step back, let go of the, the reins a little bit, um, and then find your way to control things in other ways, like with your facilitation of the discussion and uh, um, giving the kids timeframes for things and, and believe in it because it will happen. They will learn. Amazing. That was great advice. Thanks. Um, gosh, Andrea, it's been really great getting to know you over this conversation. Now, tell me a little bit about outside of your teaching world, which you're obviously very involved with. Uh, what are you into these days? What What do you love? Oh, well, I could talk about so many nerd things. Um, oh. <laughs> you know, there's, there's Doctor Who, there's Star Trek, there's uh, uh, the Comic-Con I'm going to be going to in a couple of weeks. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> but my right now, the big thing that I'm into that it's kind of like, it's not new. It's um, a, kind of a, a, it's bringing it back to me. Um, my husband and I watched this uh, show. It's on Apple Apple TV or whatever, one of those, you know, streaming networks. I think it's called Apple TV, um, the Apple s streaming service. Um, it's called, the show is called um, uh, For All Mankind. And it is this really cool, like, sort of fictionalized, science fictionalized version of the space race. And this isn't going to be any spoilers because this is basically, if you watch the um, trailer for the show, they tell you this much. But essentially, um, instead of the United States winning the space race and getting Neil and Buzz and um, Mike to the Mike, right? Mike to the moon first. It's uh, um, the the Russians get to the moon first, oh. and that and that sets off this chain of events where it's like. So in reality, we made it to the moon first. And so we kind of stopped everything like, woo, we won, we're done. We don't have to really do anything else. But in this fictionalized version of it, when the Russians get to the moon first, now we're like, oh, we're winning everything. And so it really propels like a whole different sequence of events. And what's oh. cool about it is it's not sci-fi in that they change everything and now all of a sudden there's technology that doesn't exist and all this stuff, they still maintain the same level of technology. It's just that like events around it are changing. So when they're in 
the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, they still have the same like big clunky desktops with the the green little blinking DOS screen and all this stuff, you know, and um, but uh, it's just a really incredible and they actually there's characters in it that are um, real. They were really part of the space race. Um, so it's the actual like people from NASA and, you know, there's a few mm. fictional people, too. But it's just incredible. And they bring in there about um, equality and, and women's rights and African-Americans rights and inclusion and things like that. And um, it was really huh. good. But it really sparked this like interest in in me to go back and start reading some of the the information about the actual space race and learning more about it and um, and just uh, I'm just obsessed with NASA all over again. So um, really cool. It was really good. And then I went back and read um, Norman Mailer's book um, of a Fire on the Moon, which if you've ever read anything by Norman Mailer, it's really good. Because there's a whole lot of like um, the actual like events from a journalist's perspective who got to be there when the the first moon landing happened, who got to um, see the actual press conferences when the astronauts were brought out to talk to the press and things like that. But Norman Mailer is a, a an interesting cat. He he takes you on some little weird mind trips, and it's like okay. Um, Norman, I think that you need to come back down for this part, but it was really good. And yeah, obsessed with NASA again. <laughs> well, hey, it's it's been awesome talking with you. And I want to remind everybody to, you know, you can find out more about Andrea and about, her, we'll have some links to the things she's mentioned uh, on our website at sciencemodelingtalks.com. And you can find the page that features this interview. Boy, it's, it's been great. I want to just say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to spend with us. I think you've had some wonderful things to share with our listeners. And uh, I really so appreciate it. Yeah. This was an amazing experience. And thank you so much, Mark. I'm flattered that you would uh, include me in it and invite me to, to join in. So thank you. Well, your, your name has come up uh, a few times in the last few months, and I wanted to make sure we got you recorded. It's good. Thanks again. Thank you. Okay. We'll see you. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.